everyone wants to get more sleep, and there are a ton of different sleep hacks out there, noise machines, meditation, earplugs, which I do, but you can immediately transform your sleep with Bowl & Branch. We have Bowl & Branch sheets in our house. They're in white. They are so soft. In fact, we say all the time, but they really do get softer with every wash. And the sheets also come in a really pretty box, kind of wrapped up like a present just for you. They feel buttery and breathable to start. And again, as Motion and I always say, they get softer with every wash. Best of all, it feels a little bit luxurious every time you slip into bed. These best-selling sheets are also made with the finest 100% organic cotton. They are completely free from toxins, soft yet super breathable. There's a 30-night worry-free guarantee so you can wash them, style them, and sleep in them for an entire month. And if you don't really love them, you could send them back right away. And again, they're made without toxins. There's no synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. So sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bowl & Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl & Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. That promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, for 15%, off your order. Hey everyone, it is Tuesday, October 4th. I'm Mosh Wanunu and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news, or at least I try to, and read between the lines so you don't have to. There's a lot of headlines we're watching on this Tuesday. We'll begin again in Florida where the rescues continue and the death toll from Hurricane Ian continues to go up. President Biden made a big announcement on Iran on Monday. It comes as the Supreme Leader of Iran spoke out for the first time, blaming who else? The U.S. and Israel for the protests inside the country. We'll have the latest from there. Former President Trump is suing CNN for nearly $500 million. I'll explain what that's all about. We're keeping up with the SEC as they find Kim Kardashian more than a million dollars for an Instagram post. We have run the numbers and we'll tell you how much that $1.26 million is equivalent for the rest of us. And it turns out you may be seeing Will Smith in some form at next year's Oscars with a surprise announcement yesterday. A reminder as we get started here to follow the show on whatever app you're listening to us on so you don't miss a single episode and leave us a review. Every review matters and makes a difference, so I'd be so grateful if you could leave one today. All right, let's get started here with the latest on Hurricane Ian. The rescues continue. Now nearly 2,000 people have been rescued in the last few days in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian in Florida. That comes as we've gotten the unfortunate headline that the number of people killed by the hurricane in Florida rose to at least 100 on Monday. Hurricane Ian was a Category 4 storm, nearly Category 5, actually. It decimated some coastal towns, and they now face the daunting task of rebuilding, but not before the rescue efforts continue, according to authorities, uh, both local and state. Lee County is really the epicenter of the damage and destruction here. That's Fort Myers, Fort Myers Beach, Sanibel Island, and Cape Coral. At least 54 people have died in Lee County alone, and they're still searching for more victims. As people return to their homes, even if they're left partially intact, many areas don't have power or clean drinking water. Almost half a million homes and businesses in Florida continue not to have power. Uh, Power may not actually be restored in areas like Fort Myers Beach for nearly a month due to electrical infrastructure that was completely destroyed by the hurricane. The Air Force right now is flying in cell phone towers in areas like Sanibel Island to try to uh, increase communication. 
Some areas of Florida, even 40 miles inland like the town of Arcadia, Florida, continue to be underwater. Officials believe it might be through the weekend before water recedes to the point where people can start to uh, walk through their homes again. These headlines all come as Lee County continues to face criticism for their response in the hours and days before the storm. While nearby jurisdictions and other counties called for evacuations more than 48 hours out, Lee County did not, and they have been criticized for that decision. For now, they are getting the backing of the state. The head of the Florida Division of Emergency Management said, quote, I believe Lee County and their administration made the best decision they felt was right for the community at the time. He went on to say that, quote, he will never second guess a local emergency manager on their decision. They made the best decision with the information they had. I actually taped an interview today that we'll be releasing on the podcast later this week about uh, how difficult the storm was to uh, forecast, uh, what Lee County and local officials knew, what they didn't know, and what people should know about evacuations. So I'll have that for you uh, on a podcast episode at some point this week. Florida officials are awaiting a visit from President Biden tomorrow, but he first stopped in Puerto Rico yesterday where he promised to rebuild it all. Puerto Rico was struck more than two weeks ago now by Hurricane Fiona. That storm left more than a million people without power initially. There are now more than 130,000 Puerto Ricans that still don't have power more than two weeks later and 66,000 Puerto Ricans that still are without water. Biden told locals on the island, quote, I'm committed to this island. Puerto Ricans are a strong people, but even so, you have to bear so much and more than need be, and you haven't gotten help in a timely way. Biden told residents on the island, which has about 3.2 million people, that, quote, all of America is with you. The damage from Fiona comes only five years after Hurricane Maria, which destroyed infrastructure on the island. Puerto Rico, we should note, has a higher poverty rate than any other state and remains particularly vulnerable to storms because of its uh, poor electrical and water infrastructure. Puerto Rico wasn't the only thing on the president's mind on Monday. The White House put out a major statement in regards to the protests in Iran. President Biden vowed that the U.S. will, quote, take further action against perpetrators of violence against peaceful protesters in Iran, going on to say that the U.S. remains gravely concerned about the reports of intensifying violent crackdown on peaceful protests, including students and women who are just demanding their equal rights and basic human dignity. The U.S. and the world really has watched with concern as the Iranian government has been violently punishing protesters, been cracking down, basically closing off the internet in the country. This is as demonstrators have been coming out night after night after night, really citing the many social, economic, and political grievances. It all started with the death of Masa Amini, a 22-year-old woman who died in the custody of Iran's so-called morality police. They had arrested her for what they believe was not appropriately wearing her headdress, uh, ultimately beat her, and it led to her death. This has now led to protests over the last several weeks. The demonstration started initially just about her, but they've really spread and have gotten to the point now where day by day, they are calling for the end of the dictatorship in Iran and end of the Ayatollah. The White House has previously characterized Amini's death as an egregious affront to human rights, uh, but this was a notable statement from the White House on Monday saying they promised more action against the Iranian government, but it was not immediately clear what further actions the U.S. might take against Iran. The U.S. has been working to facilitate greater internet access uh, and holding accountable, what they say is holding accountable, Iranian entities that use violence. This has been interesting to watch because the U.S. actually was reluctant back in 2009. This is when Biden was vice president, Obama was president. Back in 09 was the last really major demonstrations that you saw go on for weeks in Iran. The White House at that time did not speak out. This came out really early on in the Obama administration. They were told by outside advisors not to speak up, so Iran couldn't blame the protests 
on America. Uh, if you talk to some of Obama officials now, they regret that move. So right now you see Biden really speaking out in solidarity with these protests, partially the lessons back from 2009. Almost on cue here, we heard from Iran's Supreme Leader, that's the Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. Uh, he spoke out publicly for the first time to what are these biggest protests in Iran in years, breaking weeks of silence. He condemned what he called rioting and, of course, accused the U.S. and Israel of planning these protests. Khamenei said he was, quote, deeply heartbroken by the death of the 22-year-old Masa Amini, calling it a tragic accident. But he said that the protests are a foreign plot to destabilize Iran, uh, and the rioting was planned by America and what he calls the Zionist regime, which is Israel and their employees. It is clear, though, just as a fact check, that these protests are far beyond anything planned. You see that uh, this is years and years, decades, really, of resentment within Iran uh, and a whole generation here that has been protesting, including many, many students. On Monday, Iran closed its top technology university, that is Sharif University of Technology. This is effectively the MIT or Stanford of Iran that came after a standoff on Sunday between students and police that ended violently. It's the latest flashpoint of protests and arrests. Right now, that university, that is Sharif University of Technology, announced that only doctoral students would be allowed on campus until further notice. Uh, that comes after those clashes. But this has really been a notable thing, watching what took place there. I heard from a lot of you who are closely watching these protests and were sending me videos uh, that have somehow gotten through this internet blockage in Iran, showing uh, the violent means that uh, Iranian authorities were using against the students who were just protesting and calling for more rights in the country. I'll continue to monitor Iran here on this podcast in the Mo News newsletter over at monews.bolton.com and over on my Instagram page at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. Staying abroad here for a second, there was a major scare in Japan on Tuesday as North Korea fired a ballistic missile over the island. The Japanese Prime Minister's office said at least one missile was fired from North Korea. It flew over Japan and was believed to have landed in the Pacific Ocean. Japanese authorities issued an alert to residents in the northeast regions to evacuate buildings nearby in what was reportedly the first alert of this kind in five years. Trains were temporarily suspended in the Hokkaido region before their operations were resumed after a government notice that the North Korean missile had actually landed in the Pacific. This launch is the fifth round of weapons tests that the North Koreans have launched in the past 10 days. It's an apparent response to the military drills that South Korea and the U.S. are conducting nearby. South Korea's Joint Chiefs of Staff also detected the launch of a separate ballistic missile that was fired towards the North's eastern waters. It appears here that Kim Jong-un is uh, looking to get some attention. He uh, does these things in spurts and it appears now we've had five rounds of weapons tests in 10 days. Uh, and it really is uh, something to see that he shot a missile over Japan, given that some of these missiles are not necessarily very accurate sometimes, hence the concern from Japan. All right, back here at home, we got a couple legal stories we're watching. The first is in regards to Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes. Remember her? A judge on Monday agreed to delay her sentencing so he can consider whether prosecutors may have committed misconduct involving a star witness in her trial last year. Back in January, a jury found Elizabeth Holmes. She was the CEO of that famous blood testing company, Theranos, that turned out not to really have any technology Whatsoever, a jury found her guilty of four counts of defrauding investors, and she currently faces up to 20 years in prison in an upcoming sentencing. She had been scheduled to be sentenced in just about two weeks on October 17th, but something has come up. It turns out over the summer, a former lab director at Theranos, his name is Adam Rosendorf, allegedly appeared at Holmes's house and expressed regret over his testimony, saying the government tried to make everyone look bad, that he tried to just be honest, 
and they effectively uh, were misleading. That has led Holmes' attorneys to request a new trial last month, saying the prosecutors were clearly uh, engaged in misconduct here, given Rosendorf's visit to Holmes' doorstep. Now, the prosecutors have filed a sworn statement from Rosendorf, standing by his statement, uh, effectively pushing back on whatever Holmes believes she heard at her doorstep. But nonetheless, the judge now has agreed to use that October 17th sentencing date, actually for a new hearing uh, to question Rosendorf saying the accusations against the federal prosecutors are limited but serious, and he wants to look into them before going ahead with any sort of sentencing hearing. A reminder that Holmes is not alone here. Her former partner, Sonny Balwani, was also a sentence on multiple charges of defrauding investors as part of that blood testing startup that turned out not to really test blood very well. They stole technologies, etc. Uh, ultimately, he also faces 20 years in prison. So we will see what happens at this hearing. Uh, whether a judge finds any sort of prosecutorial misconduct, but uh, most legal observers here expect that there will be a uh, sentencing hearing at some point later this fall, early winter. Now for a story we've been trying to keep up with all day. I think you get the hint there. The major SEC announcement that they are fining Kim Kardashian $1.26 million. So what's this fine all about? This all goes back to last June when Kardashian posted an Instagram story telling her more than 200 million followers, quote, are you into crypto? This is not financial advice, but sharing what my friends just told me about the Ethereum Max token. Ethereum Max was a crypto token that uh, turned out to be pretty valueless. But at the time of her promotion, the price of the coin soared 632% after her ad and after ads by other celebrities like boxer Floyd Mayweather and the basketball player Paul Pierce. The coin price eventually plummeted, leaving any buyers with a worthless coin. It turns out Kardashian was paid $250,000 for the ad. As part of her post, she did use the term hashtag ad, which is what many celebrities and influencers use in Instagram posts. But it turns out that that is not sufficient under SEC securities laws. The Securities and Exchange Commission chair, that's Gary Gensler, was on CNBC on Monday saying securities laws is different. And when it comes to touting stocks and finances, that there's an anti-touting provision that would also have required Kim Kardashian to disclose how much she was being paid in her Instagram post. She legally needed to have posted that she was paid $250,000 for the ad, according to the SEC. Now, she's not alone here. You might remember in the last year, you've seen a lot of celebrities touting crypto. That's Larry David. That's Matt Damon. Uh, a whole number of others. The Super Bowl last year, it felt like every third or fourth ad was all about crypto. But so far, they're only dealing with Kim Kardashian here. This appears to be a case where the SEC is trying to make an example out of her so other celebrities don't push these uh, some of these nonsense crypto coins. She isn't fighting it, by the way. She isn't calling any hypocrisy or asking why others, at least not publicly, are uh, being called out and potentially fined here. She's agreed to pay the government a million-dollar fine plus the $250,000 that she was paid back to the government. So that's about $1.26 million going to the government. By the way, just to give you perspective here, they've run the numbers. Kim Kardashian's net worth is an estimated $1.8 billion, according to Forbes. So when you actually do a calculation on what a $1.26 million fine is for Kim Kardashian, that is the equivalent of just about $100 for the rest of us just to put it in context for everybody. Okay, a couple Trump headlines we are watching as we got word last week from his former advisor, Kellyanne Conway, that he is planning to announce a 2024 presidential run just after midterm elections next month. And he's already thinking about who might be his vice presidential candidate. The former president is considering his ex-White House press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, and Republican Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina as possible running mates should he end up pursuing a campaign. These names come to us from the New York Times' Maggie Haberman. She has a new book out 
today called Confidence Man. She actually interviewed Trump three times for the book. That is despite the fact that he is often critical of Haberman, uh, often calling her fake news in his social media posts. That said, he still spoke to her three times for her new book. And based on those conversations, she believes he is likely going to run in 2024 because he likes the protection of the presidency, including the legal protection. But she warned that he might not see his campaign all the way through. This was an interview she did over the weekend with CBS. She says that so much of his identity now is about being a politician. So he kind of feels back into a corner here that he has to run again. She also said that Trump is considering uh, Sarah Sanders, who, by the way, is the now the Republican nominee for governor of Arkansas as a potential VP, as well as Tim Scott. Tim Scott, you might know him, is the only black Republican in the U.S. Senate. He has expressed openness to being on a ticket with Trump. The other Trump headline we are watching is his new lawsuit against CNN for $475 million. It is a defamation lawsuit that his team filed in the U.S. District Court in Florida. He claims that CNN has tried to taint him using defamatory language as part of a concerted effort to tilt the political balance to the left. These are more of their words here in the complaint that, quote, CNN has tried to taint the plaintiff with a series of ever more scandalous, false, and defamatory labels of racist, Russian lackey, insurrectionist, and ultimately, quote, Hitler. A reminder here in the U.S. that according to case law, that you have to prove actual malice against a media entity, meaning it's a higher standard given the First Amendment here in the country, that if you're filing a defamation case against a news organization, you have to prove they intended to try to bring you down and intended to do harm to you. Defamation suits have become more common for high power figures like Trump looking to challenge the media's First Amendment power. But again, there are a number of recent precedents. It is really hard to prove a defamation given where the First Amendment standard is, but it remains to be seen what happens in this case. Okay, as we start to bring in this podcast for a landing, a slight change of pace here, as you might be aware, it's Nobel Prize Week. Annually, typically every October, six Nobel Prizes are awarded by the committees in Sweden and Norway over a few days for work in science, literature, economics, and peace. On Monday, Swedish scientist Swante Pebo won the Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine for his research into human evolution. This is really exciting. I've posted several slides on my Instagram account. Pebo and his team studies led to the sequencing of the Neanderthal genome in 2010 and the discovery of a new species called Denisovans. So there was apparently a split about 500,000 years ago, and our breed, the Homo sapiens, for a while, though, were living alongside Neanderthals and this group that his team discovered, the Denisovans. Now, the Homo sapiens, of course, we won out, and they're still trying to figure out what exactly led us to beat out the Neanderthals and the Denisovans. But what is fascinating here is that part of their research, they found out that all three groups, the Homo sapiens, the Neanderthals, and the Denisovans, were close enough genetically to lead to interbreeding. So it actually turns out that there is some Denisovan DNA in some humans. Uh, it's been discovered out in the islands in Southeast Asia. They also believe that some of the Denisovan DNA is what helps Tibetans at high altitudes that actually came from the Denosovan species. Now, scientists continue to look for more details on the species that Pebo and his team discovered. Uh, there have been limited skeletons found. Uh, they're still looking for some more examples. I went into it more in my Instagram stories if you want to take a look over there. But congrats to Pebo and his team on their big discovery. They've effectively established an entirely new scientific discipline called paleogenomics, which is based on extracting reconstructing and analyzing genomic information in extinct species sort of feels like Jurassic Park. In this case, they're talking about early humans. Fascinating by this. And if I see more developments and more discoveries on this front, I have gotten notes from uh, many of you to keep sharing them on my Instagram feed. 
Okay, a bit of entertainment news. Will Smith will be making his return to the Oscars next year, kind of, while he is banned from the ceremony. He will officially be eligible for next year's Best Actor with a surprise announcement yesterday that his slavery thriller called Emancipation will be released this December, making the movie and him as a lead actor eligible for an award. Emancipation will hit theaters and limited release on December 2nd before it begins streaming on Apple TV Plus a week later. And that means that they will make it under the deadline for the Oscar nominations that potentially could come out. Uh, a reminder that he won his first Oscar back in March for his role in King Richard, but then obviously proceeded to slap Chris Rock, leading to a 10-year ban from the ceremony. While he is banned from the ceremony, he is still eligible for awards, so we'll see what happens there. The film, by the way, Emancipation, is reported to have a $120 million budget. It's based on a true story of a slave who escaped a Louisiana plantation back in the 1860s, made his way north to join the Union Army. And before we go here, a shout out to the man behind Nike's famous Just Do It campaign. We learned over the weekend that Dan Wyden, a advertising executive, passed away at the age of 77. He is the person who coined Nike's famous slogan, Just Do It. He actually co-founded an agency with a partner back in April of 1982 out in Oregon, and Nike was his only client, sort of reminds me of a Jerry Maguire type situation. They remained very close to the Nike CEO and famously coined the Nike tagline, Just Do It, back in 1988 for a big campaign. So that's a little Nike trivia for you. I want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. We'd love your feedback on how we're doing, on what we're covering. You can email me over at podcast at mo.news. A reminder to follow or subscribe to the show on whatever app you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Every review matters. And so I very much appreciate all of you who take a moment to do that. You can subscribe to the Mo News newsletter over at monews.bulletin.com and follow me over on Instagram at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. And before I go, I want to wish everyone who is celebrating Yom Kippur tonight in the Jewish religion an easy fast, 24 hours of fasting. Hope it's easy for all of you. I'll see everyone back here tomorrow.